This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. It's Doug Lamarice and Nathan Baird. Nathan, we talked to three Ohio State players here at the Combine on Wednesday. It was quarterbacks, tight ends, and receivers. That meant Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jeremy Ruckert. We're going to run through our conversation with those three guys. But I will say, um, A, I got three hours sleep on Tuesday night because I couldn't fall asleep until like 3.30 in the morning, and I'm not sure why. One of the reasons is maybe because I'm sick, which people maybe can still tell. I've been sick. I've had a cold for like a week, and it's not COVID. I have three negative COVID tests. Um, I, just have a, I just have a cold. It's a pain in my butt. But I was taking a lot of NyQuil and I didn't bring NyQuil to Indy. And so I don't know if I'm addicted to NyQuil and I couldn't fall asleep without it. But also I actually was up like looking up a lot of Chris Holtman stuff after the basketball team's horrendous loss to Nebraska, which I was going to have Stephen hop on, but we'll let them see if the basketball, we'll see if the basketball team can get back on its feet Thursday night before we talk a little more basketball on this podcast. So I was kind of out of it today because I'm tired, but the combines changed a little bit. It's just a little weird. It, we used to get like a full half hour with these guys at the podiums. We only get 15 minutes now. They're shorter things. It's harder to get into it with guys. I felt like like this the Garrett Wilson spectacle maybe wasn't the spectacle that I expected. I think back when like Dwayne Haskins was here and Nick Bosa was here and some guys, it was like, oh, here comes this guy. Garrett Wilson's going to be the first receiver taken. There's maybe just not as many people here. There's not as much time to ask questions. On one hand, I felt like I got to ask Garrett Wilson like five questions, but he was like a little bit low key. He was a little bit chill, which is cool. But like, I thought maybe this was going to be Garrett Wilson, like announcing himself to the NFL world. And it felt less like that. The setup's the same podiums, whatever, we can't get to them. Usually you can drop your digital recorder on the table, on the podium with them. We're not allowed to do that now. We're not really that distance from them. There's a tiny little like velvet strap rope thing that across it. It's not like huge COVID distancing and that kind of thing. It just generally felt a little less um, like like combine than maybe it did before. Maybe it's because we didn't really have it last year and... I don't know. I know you, this is only your second time here, um, yeah. but I, I thought I sort of do feel like sometimes when there's a great Ohio State player that we know, it's like, hey, we know this guy. And it's like, oh, I almost want to see like the NFL world get to know these guys. And I didn't get quite that vibe from my time with Garrett Wilson compared to some other big time Ohio State guys of the past. You were at Olave and Rucker. Just just start with what's your, what's your combine vibe here at the moment as we sort of introduce people to what the first day of interviews was like. So, yeah, there's nothing intimate about it, which is I was thinking about how I was about to answer your question that way. I Buckeye talk. I, exactly. I can't avoid saying Buckeye talk at the end of that sentence. Um, there's nothing intimate about it really anymore. And there wasn't even two years ago when I was here. But you did. I felt like there was because you got a little bit more time with the guys because you were – a little bit closer to them. You weren't quite as pushed back because of the, you know, the ongoing COVID protocols and things that it, it did seem a little bit more intimate that time. I remember um, Jeff Okuda having an kind of an enlightening time at the podium showing off uh, 
something he had, uh, there, there was something about with his hand that he had to show us. I guess it was the finger injury he'd had or something about that. And people got pictures of that and him responding to a question about um, being penalized a lot with kind of a, a snappy comeback towards the reporter that asked it. And it just seemed like it was a yep. different a different vibe back in the, the olden days of, of 2020. And there is something a little bit more um, sanitized about this year's. It's a little bit more corporate and industrial, even more so than it was two years ago, which I'm sure at the time still seemed more corporate and industrial than what you were used to from five yeah. years before that or whatever, that it's just been slowly creeping towards this as it gets bigger, as more people come as it becomes this like mandatory destination for, you know, the 15 people on the Ohio state beat every year and, and all the other NFL people that come here, then I think that's almost inevitable that it just, the more people you throw into it, the less intimate it's going to be. And the more distance the NFL is going to try to put between the more they're going to try to control the messages that are coming out of here. Just, it's just a little weird. It's going to be hard. Um, especially if it ends up in Vegas or LA or someplace else. I was there for like every word Garrett Wilson said, 12 minutes and 35 seconds. It's like he's the number one receiver prospect in this draft. The receiver is a glamour position. And just like compared to Chase Young, you know, who was the number one defensive end glamour position, I didn't feel like Garrett Wilson got to sort of announce himself to the world as much as maybe I expected. 12, 35, man, it's just not a lot of time. It's just not a lot of time. So anyway. That's almost how much you slept last night. Yeah. I mean, I, you don't want to know. I looked up. I was crunching numbers on Thad Mata's last four, five years compared to Chris Holtman's first five years. They're a little more similar than you would expect. Um, you know, it's one of these. It was such a bad loss. It's such a bad loss. And, yeah. you know, Stephen and I on Monday, I'm trying to not be up Chris Holtman's butt with the coconut all the time because, like, he's good. He's fine. But awful loss. And it's just like you start searching for – Man, I'll tell you what, this Big Ten record, I mean, there's they're going to wind up pretty darn close to 12 and 8 again. Like they're a 12 and 8 Big Ten team under Chris Holman. They had that 15 and 3 year in year 1 that he he admits was kind of a fluke. That it was kind of a down year for the conference and they had two veteran guys in Kate Bates D up and Jay Sean Tate and they kind of rode them, had a weird schedule went 15 and 3. And man, they are they are about a slightly above 500 program in the Big Ten since then. And the Big Ten's really good. And the Big Ten is probably better than it was at the end. I mean, it's deep. Yeah, it like, is. No, they're, it's, they're getting it like is. nine. Well, I like get nine tournament teams every year, right? So it's like, hey, you have nine well, tournament teams. Well, that's you know, like that's it's it's hard to beat. There's not a lot of, but they're they just lost to two teams that are supposed to be bottom dwellers. So and they're in a rough spot, man. So again, we're not having Stephen on to talk about basketball, but I'm gonna just like. I was up at three o'clock in the morning, lying in my bed, asking why I couldn't fall asleep and pondering Chris Holtman's future. Um, crunching some numbers. Let's see. Let's see how they do against Michigan State. But you, I was a terrible loss, man. Terrible loss, Nebraska. I did not see any of that game last night. I was working. I went to dinner. I had some other things going on. I came back and I watched the second half of another Big Ten game, which was Purdue, Wisconsin, a top 10 matchup that came down to some clutch shots at the end of the game. I mean, that's what it is in the Big Ten right now. Like, you cannot slouch through the Big Ten and come out of it with a good record. Like, and But that doesn't excuse you from losing to Nebraska at home. All right, let's get back to football. Let's start with Garrett Wilson. That's where I was. Again, we, just, we split this up, again, for our listening audience, six, six, six members of the Cleveland.com team here. Scott Paslico, Ashley Bass. That sounds like sounds like you're saying satanic members of the. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I say it that way? I just meant to say we have six reporters here, and I said six, six, six. <laughs> um, yeah, the devil took me over while I was staying awake at three o'clock in the morning last night. You were possessed. I, yeah. Ashley Bass. Long suspected. Often wondered. Yeah. Yeah. Ashley Bastock, Dan Lobby, Scott Pasco, Mary Kay Cabot all here doing Brown stuff. And then uh, you and I are here. So that's six of us. So then that, but there's guys, there's, I think, eight podiums plus like little stands. So there can be like 12 to 13 guys talking at the same time. So that allows us to cover uh, a bunch of people. So I was at Garrett Wilson. And the thing that I, I did like about him, uh, Nathan, was I, I always like to ask this question. I say, 
for someone who's never seen you play, how would you describe yourself? Because it makes them and and when the, the good thing about the combine is nobody's bashful here. This is not a time to say like, oh, well, no, I don't really like to. I'll leave that to other people. It's like, nope, your agent has told you. Make sure you talk about your strengths. So Garrett Wilson talked about his strengths. He started off by saying, I think I'm good at 50-50 balls and I play bigger than my size. And that is a thing you, if you can Google play bigger than his size and Garrett Wilson will pop up. Again, he's like six foot, six one, 188, 192, somewhere in there. But I, I agree with that. I'm one of the people who writes things like that. That the catch radius, the way he gets up, the way he's physical enough, that he's not a, a lean guy, even though he's not the heaviest guy. I think he has a, a big enough body to be physical. Um, I thought that was an important thing for him to say, Nathan, that he thinks he plays bigger than his size. And then I sort of said, like, what does actually, what does that mean? And he said, it's breaking tackles. It's turning short gains into big gains. It's making sure you don't go down easy. It makes making sure that you fight when you're blocking, right? And I think that's real. And I think he needs to do that to be a number one receiver. Um, but I, I liked hearing him say that because it's one thing for a ding dong like me or a bunch of draft analysts to say, oh, play bigger than the size. I like that he thinks that too. Like he, because it's a mental thing, Nathan, not just a physical thing of like, hey, all right, I'm not 6'3", I'm not 215, but when I go up and catch this ball, you're not going to know that. And I wonder how much he's hearing that from the NFL teams that he has conversations with already. Is that something that they like about him? Because as much as you will talk about yourself um, and, and talk yourself up, I think that this is also a time where you – start to repeat the things you've heard, both good and bad. You'll say, oh, this is the thing I know I have to work on. But you'll also say, you know, teams are saying they like this about me. And I, I would imagine that that is something that teams have brought up to him. That's why he is so high on those boards. We have not seen the measurements yet as to what these guys, as, as we're recording this on, on Wednesday afternoon, have not seen height and weight measurements yet on this guy. As we talked about on the, the preview, the combine preview pod, I am still very intrigued by what he measures in at relative to what Chris Olave measures in at, because I think he is still going to look um, pretty solid, even if he doesn't have the inches on his height. I think he's going to come in pretty solid. And then when you start to factor in, as Chris Olave put it, when he was asked about Garrett Wilson, like he has a big bag, which or large bag, something like that. It was a very awkward <laughs> statement. I, but I knew what he meant. I knew what he meant, which is that he does a lot of things. He does so many things well that he's a really difficult guy to defend and, and, and because of that, a guy that you want in your offense. Chris Olave, I also used the word freak to describe him athletically. And it was interesting. Someone used that word to gear it up. Oh, people describe you as a freak. And he was like, yeah, my mom doesn't like that when they called me that on a broadcast, which is <laughs> one of those that, because he's also, I was talking to somebody else. Um, you guys know, I just think Garrett's really smart, really smart about football. And I was talking to somebody else about that. And um, one of the teams that, talking to someone, one of the teams that's interviewed him, and they're like, oh, yeah, he has no problem with that stuff, you know, which is one of those things like he's dynamic, he's explosive, he'll go up. But he's super. He knows the game, man, man, he knows the game. So I just think he's going to have a really good week. The thing that he brought up, Nathan, like as everyone's like, oh, what's the thing you really want to show? He said, people think I'm not that fast. And he said, people think I'm going to run like a mid four five for my 40 and I want to go faster than that. So that's the number to watch. I guess the receivers work out Thursday. I think that's right. I think you, a lot of times it's like you're, you're working out like the yep. day after your interviews. So, you know, I think Chris Olave will run faster than him, but he's not going to be the biggest. He's not going to be the fastest here, but he's the best package, I think, of skills. And so I, but that matters to him. He said he's been working on that. So for you guys watching, they put all the stuff on the NFL Network and everything else. Watch that number. That's He wants to run faster than mid four fives. And it matters to him, Nathan. I don't know how much it matters to NFL teams. Cause like Michael Thomas didn't burn it up, but like, that's not my, what Michael Thomas was about. And I don't think Michael Thomas and Garrett are all that similar, except that they're both complete number one receivers. And so it's one of those things, again, if he really does run faster than people predict again, it's like, well, see you later. See you later. Browns. No chance. And I, I joked that I was going to like try to, I was going to like ask a bunch of questions like Garrett, you know, talk about that drop you had, 
talk about how like why why was Jackson Smith and Jigba so good when you were out? Like try to tamp down the enthusiasm on Garrett Wilson. See if I could single handedly get him to number 13 so the Browns could draft him. But I decided not to do that because I'm not here to play God, Nathan. I'm just here to ask questions. And um, people are going to figure out how good Garrett is. But if he runs better than expected, then who watch out. That might be top 10. I think it is important for him because, yes, like Michael Wilson, he is an all-around receiver. Michael Thomas, sorry. Michael Thomas, an all-around receiver. But Michael Thomas is also 6'3", 212 or something like that. Like yes. he is also yes. And, yes. and and was big is that big now, but was also bigger coming out of Ohio State. And for that reason, I think the number is important. But I think it also helps him if people think that it is a deficiency for him right now or that he isn't going to run that fast of a number because then that means he doesn't really have to run that fast of a number to beat expectations. Like if people think he's going to be not a plotter, not a possession guy, but a guy who isn't going to burn it. And then he does come out and run. What if he just runs like a four or five flat? Is that going to seem fast for Garrett Wilson? Is that going to actually enhance his, his number, his stock, even if he isn't running among the best, the fastest receivers in this draft? I think if, if that's the one thing that people are kind of wondering about him and he can run just a merely good number, a solid number, then I think you're right. It, it improves what people think about him already. And you do start to put him out of range of even teams who are, who are drafting in the middle of the first round. Um, okay. Let's talk about this a little bit because it's the first chance that we, anybody really had a chance to ask Garrett Wilson about it and all credit to the one and only Dan hope of 11 warriors who came in like right at the end. I didn't, even though I got to ask Garrett a bunch of questions, I didn't get to ask him every question that I wanted to ask him, including the question about Chris Olave that I was supposed to ask him for you for your Chris Olave story. Sorry, bro. Which was which was your idea, by the way. So I, I go over. Doug, Doug swoops in right before I'm about to talk to Olave and says, "Hey, how about if we both ask Olave and Wilson about each other, and then we trade those quotes?" I'm like, "Oh, that's a great idea." So uh, Doug has quotes about from Chris Olave talking about Garrett Wilson, and I have Bubkus. And people are going to read my story and be like, "Wow, what a thorough reporter!" These these extra quotes really make it. And people can read Nathan's and be like, "Ah, eh, it's a little thin. I could have used a second source. And Nathan's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. See, <laughs> now you're getting a feel. Yeah, you've been here for three years, Nathan, but you're still kind of getting a feel for how I operate. So Dan Hope, the man, swoops in and says, why did you sit out the Rose Bowl? Which is a completely valid question because we haven't been able to ask Garrett Wilson that question since he decided not to play in the Rose Bowl. And so, you know, it's – but also it's completely valid. He said – I'm paraphrasing here based off this rough transcript. It's something I talked to my family about. I talked to my teammates about before I made the decision. I talked to Coach Day. And it was, you know, just something, like I said, I came here to win a national championship. We didn't perform to the level and the standard we hold ourselves to this past season. And we had no excuse, like, to not be playing in the playoff. And so where it was one of those things where I felt like it was the right decision. When I asked Garrett, I had asked him, did you sort of accomplish what you wanted to accomplish in Columbus? Because we want to talk about, they are setting a new legacy for Ohio State receivers at this combine and in this draft. And that's what I was sort of getting to. And he said, yeah, I did, except for winning a national championship. I thought he, uh, with a couple different answers, clearly communicated the idea that the Rose Bowl was not the standard for us in 2021. That was not what we expected of ourselves. That is not what we should have done. We fell below our capabilities. And then when we did that, I'm not going to risk it for something that's below our capabilities, which is not a surprise, which we know, which happens all over the country. But it reinforced anything the thing we talked about. The Utah guys played in the Rose Bowl. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Haskell to Garrett didn't play in the Rose Bowl. And it's about your standards, your expectations, what you think your, should, your team should have done that year. Utah met its standard, uh, exceeded its standard. So the rest guys like, opt out of what? This is our dream. And the Ohio State guys, I think that's like, I almost like that. Now, I like guys who play too. Great. I like guys who do what they want to do, what they feel is best for them. It's their final game. I think you can give three seasons, four seasons, five seasons, whatever it is for the program. Last game, you get to do what you want to do. I think that is a fair trade-off. But that the, it's like, we didn't meet our standard. 
we fell short. So like, I'm not gonna, uh, that's, that's why, like, not that he's angry, not that he's blaming anybody, but I thought he was very frank about like, fell short of our standard. And then that's what I felt like I was going to do. I almost sort of liked the way Nathan, that he explained it. Well, I mean, listen, I, it, it's just, it's, it's low reward, high risk for those guys to play in that game. It just is. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I was on the field there at the end of that game and people were ecstatic. I mean, especially the way the game played out, the way it finished. I'm not saying that it wasn't a special moment for the Ohio State players who played in it, but it's not the same as a playoff scenario. And if to, to I mean, go look at Jamison Williams. Now, obviously, Jamison Williams was playing for a national championship, so he had to play in that game. There was no anybody who would have played in that game, but he and he's still going to be a high draft pick. But you see the 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 risk that these guys put themselves uh, through for every single game. If if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna put that possibility on the line, then I think there has to be a better payoff than beating Utah in the Rose Bowl. And I totally understood why Garrett Wilson um, sat down. And I think people should. Uh, that, that's going to be. It's not even a question anymore. And I don't think it was even a question this year. We knew as soon as Ohio State lost to Michigan that there were going to be multiple star players who weren't going to play in that game. And it's always going to be that way now um, because. Again, the, it's it's such a low reward, high risk scenario, and I I think that is the way to put it. That this game, playing in that game, is below the standard of reward that it's worth putting that risk up for. And it's I, I want to make sure people aren't taking it the wrong way. It's not like it's it's not like the Rose Bowl is beneath Garrett Wilson. Like Pushaw, I'm not. I don't. This isn't worthy of me. Like it's not that. It's like listen, man. This is not what we set out to do this year. And so once we failed, he didn't say fail, but that's where once we failed to meet the standard, we hold ourselves to. We're Ohio State. We should have beat Michigan. We should be in the playoff. Once we fall short of that, it opens the door on this. It doesn't mean everybody has to opt out, but it opens the door on that. And I think it's okay to hold yourself to that standard. I got in this weird Twitter argument, not argument, discussion with a listener this week about the show we did about the playoff. And I guess we were saying the expanded playoff, the only thing that the, you know, the expanded playoff, the only reason not to do it is because you might lessen the regular season for a team like Ohio state. And there he was, this person was making some kind of argument that, well, what if the five 12 playoff game is a blowout and they're so bad that players start opting out of the five twelve playoff game. And I was like, well, they're already opting out of everything. That's not a playoff. So if they're opting out of the five twelve, that's just where we are now. But like, I don't think they will. And like the no. way Garrett Wilson talked about this in that five twelve playoff game, if for a player like Garrett Wilson, Ohio state is still chasing its standard can still achieve its standard. Right. We're in the mix for a national title. And just, it was a weird, like, well, you're not, you didn't think of that as like, Think of players opting out of the 512. Like you're theoretically using that against me in a world where players already opt out of everything that's not a playoff game. I thought it was weird, but I thought this thing from Garrett Wilson, it's about a title. And as soon as the dream of a title for high level players at a high level place like Ohio State is snuffed out, the door opens. It's about a title. And I think it's okay to think that way. And I think it's okay. That's a, that's a compliment to Ohio state that that is the only standard beat Michigan. There's two beat Michigan compete for a title. And if that lasts, if we're done competing for a title, man, now the door's cracked on me thinking about my future. Well, I would even say if there were a scenario where Ohio state were going to play for the big 10 championship, but knew it couldn't make the 14 playoff. It already had two losses or whatever, and it still won the East, was going to play for the Big Ten Championship. I think those players would still play for the Big Ten Championship because there's something to be gained there that is greater than mm. um, a bowl reward yeah, to me. Like it's something that lasts. It's something, it's not as I know people got on me for calling the, the bowl games uh, an exhibition, but 
I'm sorry. <laughs> they are. I know that the road, I know what the tradition of the Rose Bowl is. I grew up in the footprint of the Big Ten. I'm not trying to crap on the Rose Bowl, but let's be serious about the way that this sport uh, plays out in, in the modern day. And I think if, a, if a, what you're talking about, and I think there's a lot of fans who think that way too. I don't think this is just a wonky sports journalist thing and a thing that the players think. I think a lot of fans understand why players sit out those games, but I don't think they would support what you're talking about, where if you're the 12 seed and you are still playing for the playoff, you still have a chance to go upset the five seed and be in the, you know, well, no, no. It's, of the- it's more about the five seed. The 12 seed is ne- Ohio State's never going to be the 12 seed. Oh, I say it's never going to be a twelve seed fighter, but well, it, even more so. The idea that you be, by being the five seed, um, that you, again you're still going to be in a great position to go on and win the national championship or compete for the national championship. I don't think fans or wonky sports journalists would support players bowing out of those games quite as aggressively as we do when they bow out of or they they skip playing a a bowl game, even one as prestigious as the Rose Bowl. Yeah, the idea that like you'd opt out of that game, but then opt back in when you're playing the fourth seed, I just it was a weird conversation. So anyway, yeah, um, Garrett Wilson also talked about. I said like, do you think you can have the kind of impact that guy that rookie receivers like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson have had? And he said, that's what I want to do. That's what I train to do. That's what I expect to do. I want to be the kind of guy who goes in as a rookie and makes my team better. So I think he can do that. But let's talk about the Ohio State part of this. He talked about Brian Hartline a little bit. He talked about sort of like the, the room behind him at Ohio State. But Nathan, Austin Ward of um, Letterman Row asked him this question. And I was going to ask him the question the same way because I like to do it. Austin asked it a good way. I like doing like the sort of like, did you know? You give him a little trivia question. He asked Garrett Wilson, do you know the last time an Ohio State receiver was drafted in the first round? And he went back as far as like, he's like, was it Terry Glenn? Like back as far as that, which that, that was actually back. That was actually back a little too far. Terry Glenn was the seventh overall pick in 1996. It's not that far back. David Boston was a first round pick in 1999. Uh, and then San Holmes was... Um, Chris Gamble, he's like, I guess, drafted as a DB. He was 2004. Santonio Holmes was a first round pick in 2006, but it goes back to 2007. Ted Ginn, number nine overall pick in the first round. Anthony Gonzalez, number 32 overall pick in the first round in 2007. So it's 15 years since an Ohio State receiver was drafted in the first round. Now, that's Terry McLaurin, not in the first round, really good NFL receiver. Michael Thomas, not in the first round, should have been in the first round, really good NFL receiver. Devin Smith, second rounder. Brian Robisky, second rounder. Brian Hartline, fourth rounder. So they've had some good receivers, but they haven't had a first rounder. I just did the math and I forgot the number. It's something like they've had 21 or 22 first round picks since... 2007, right? And, and from 2008 on, they've had that, that many first-round picks, none of them receiver, 20-plus. So it is a little bit of a weird thing here, and I just we, we want to acknowledge, Nathan, that we talk a lot about sort of like the revival or the reinvigoration or the rise of the Ohio State receiver room. Like, this really is the, the end of the beginning of it, that – as good as Terry McLaurin and Johnny Dixon and Paris Campbell and Michael Thomas and those guys were, what we talk about now really is the heartline day receiver way of doing things. And that starts really with the recruitment of Garrett Wilson. And this now is the culmination of that. And so Chris Olave is a year ahead of Garrett Wilson, but we all know an under the radar recruit, not that he's not great. He probably will be a first round pick. Garrett Wilson definitely will be a first round pick. This is the start of it, Nathan. They're going to have their first first-round receiver in 15 years, and now they might have a first-round receiver every year for the next five. They're at least going to have it for the next two because Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be here in a year, and he's probably going to be the first receiver off the board. And then you start lining up everybody else, Emek Agbuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Caleb Burton and everybody else in that room. This is, we know it, and we've talked about it on the college level, but from a professional standpoint, this is the start of it, Nathan, because Garrett Wilson and probably Chris Olave are going to break a 15-year streak. That's not nothing. Yeah, I mean, you can even, if you're talking about even a shorter window, since that big 2016 draft, um, there have been no offensive players other than quarterbacks 
for Ohio State, drafted in the top 20 picks and only one first round pick that was an offensive player other than the quarterback. And that was Billy Price in what was that, 2018? 2018. Um, so it's just it, for as explosive as this offense is on an annual basis, we think of it as just this offense that just rolls over the Big Ten and nobody can keep up with it. And it's it's always like startling if somebody really does contain it and it gets on the national level and usually performs well there too. It, it, it hasn't necessarily translated into an abundance of NFL um, like first round talent, like that upper upper echelon talent. But you're right. I mean, this is the 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 trend is about to start rolling in the other way. I mean, you've got this year. You had Jackson Smith and Jigba next year. You had Travion Henderson the year after that. You've got this, and who knows who else? Maybe from the the, the last year's freshman class of receivers, also with Travion Henderson in 2024. I mean, you're going to see this the ball's going to start rolling in the other way. And it's an interesting question of how much of it are, are Olave and are Olave and Wilson starting that because they're, they're also going to say like, they, they both did, I think say today, well asked about the impact that players like Terry McLaurin had on them, the impact that all of the predecessors who came before them. So there are some guys in here, um, Michael Thomas being another example who are, first round talents who didn't go in the first round. And I think those guys by getting to the NFL and having the success that they did helped these guys kind of turn their eyes towards the, I don't have to get too colorful with it, but like the destiny that like they're now about to achieve, like they were confident in their abilities already, but seeing what those guys got to the NFL and did, I think laid a little bit of a blueprint for them of what they could accomplish. And now you're seeing the fruition of that. I'll be curious to see where Garrett Wilson fits in here. I mean, he, he in some ways, is he's a little bit like Joey Bosa, right? That Ohio State had good defensive ends, but then it was like, all right, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young. It's like, well, this is different, right? Both in college and in the NFL. If Garrett Wilson is this like, well, Jackson Smith and Jigba go like even higher, and then will somebody else behind him go even higher? Or is Garrett in some ways setting a new standard, but is he also the peak of that standard? I'll, I mean, like we only have... 14 months to talk about it, but where Jackson Smith and Jigba goes in the 2023 NFL draft is going to be fascinating because I mean, it's possible that guy is going to drop a season on college football. Like we have rarely seen from a receiver and just like Garrett is kind of an everything inside, outside, short, deep, fast, smart, strong hands, route running, dynamic, reliable, I mean, Jackson's that too. And then sometimes people act like maybe Jackson's even got a little bit more of the secret sauce in some of this stuff. So everything that we're, all the conversations we're having about Garrett Wilson, I feel like we're going to be having the exact same conversations, but I don't know, maybe even 10% heightened next year. I'll be fascinated to see where we are a year from now. There's always a big Ohio State contingent here at the Combine, and we were talking today amongst us, uh, the uh, people on the beat, about what this is going to be like next year when it's C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigbo both here together. I mean, today the quarterbacks and receivers and uh, tight ends were all doing their um, interviews together. So if it's the same thing next year, it could be a little bit of a, a, a madhouse between the uh, Ohio State contingent that, follows these guys around as it is again, depending on where it is because uh, it could be on the West coast and that, you know, a four hour flight as opposed to a three hour drive will, will change this a little bit maybe, but like the Ohio state contingent plus just what those guys will draw as potentially depending on who you ask could be the, the top guys at that position at both of those positions in next year's draft. Uh, it, it's the, the Ohio state offense for as much as it has, again, as I was saying, like as much as it has, drawn I think attention from within just around the beat around the team the the national exposure is is going to kick up a notch I think here these next couple of years because as you're saying it's going to be the kind of kind of like face of the game kind of players I don't think Olave and Wilson were ever like that maybe partially because they both take some um, of, of that juice away from each other I don't know but I think next year like the these next two years, the Stroud, Smith and Jigbe Henderson thing, all those guys are guys who could be, you know, very prominent in, I think, just the storyline of college football itself and are going to draw that kind of attention. 
there. So like last year, Justin Fields was here without his receivers. Now the two receivers are here without the quarterback. To your point next year, the quarterback and the receiver are going to well, be here together. Not, I mean, there was no combine last year, but. Well, right. But like the, yeah, in, in the, the, the scene, um, the there were process. Uh, Chicago writers asking Garrett Wilson about like, Oh, what about playing with Justin Fields? <laughs> and I walked with Garrett really quickly afterward. And I was like, dude, why are they asking you about Chicago? You're going to be, well, 30 picks off the board. Like what? I don't even, are the bears going to trade four future first round picks to move up the number seven to draft Garrett Wilson? They traded this year's first to move up to get Justin last year. What are they talking about? I, if I was a Chicago reporter and I wanted to write about Justin Fields, I would go ask Garrett Wilson about Justin Fields. I think that's perfectly understandable. Um, it's lunacy to think that the Bears can draft Garrett Wilson. I saw a draft mock somewhere that had Chris Olave falling to 39 and the Bears and Justin Fields. That also seems like lunacy to me, but that is a thousand times more possible than Garrett Wilson to the Bears. It's impossible. It's like, it's like, hey, you might as well say, Garrett, uh, what would it be like to, uh, to catch passes from a Martian? It's like, I guess it would be cool, but it's not going to happen, person I mean, asking the question. The Bears had to trade last year's first-round pick and this year's first-round pick to move up like a handful of spots last year to take Justin Fields. Like, I can't even imagine the draft capital you would have to trade when you don't have a first round pick this year in yeah. order to trade into the top like 10 picks of the first round. It's insane. You would have to give someone an offer that would be um, so punitive towards your own franchise. And I honestly, Garrett Wilson doesn't worth that. Not well, in, especially the, not in this draft class. Isn't there like the fable, like the Christmas fable where it's like, you know, the woman cuts off her hair to buy a banjo for magic. her husband and the oh, husband Henry. cuts off his hand to buy a brush for his wife. And then it's like, I don't have a hand and I don't have any hair. And now we have a brush and a banjo. And it's like the Chicago Bears have tra- have <laughs> traded Justin Fields to move up in the draft to select Garrett Wilson. And it's like, oh, well, that wasn't it's a gift of the magic. It is the gift of the magic. Remember, you ever read yeah, the monkey's was- paw, the monkey's <laughs> paw? That's one of those two. Yeah. Monkey's paw is like, hey, I Be wish I could park. For. I could. Uh, well, I, so I, I wish I, I don't want to have to walk into the grocery store. I wish I could park in that handicap spot. And then like a cement truck comes along and like takes your legs off. And it's like, hey, here's your handicap spot. I'll tell you what, I was like, read that stuff in sixth grade, man. Like the banjo and the brush thing. Like I got that. But it's like monkey's paw. Woo, that gets that's that got me. Because I would be probably that kind of person. I'd be like, oh, man, I don't want to have to do this. But I'm worried about that cement truck coming for me. I'm, I'm glad we could take a minute from our football coverage for you to just crucify canonical American literature. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> that, that Your synopsis of The Gift of the Magi, I think, will go down in, in literary history. The, uh, maybe we should make that an off-season thing. Like Doug explains great American literature. Instead of Cliff's notes, it's Doug's notes. You ever read that one about the guy, like the guy and like his big dumb friend? Yeah, we'll do. (laughs) I think that's what we're calling this podcast. Buckeye talk. (laughs) All right, let's do Chris Olave and Jeremy Ruckert. We'll do them next after this. Doug LaMarie and Nathan Baird back here on Buckeye Talk from Indianapolis. Let's do Jeremy Ruckert. I did not speak with him. You did speak with him. There's actually some news here that had been reported, but there's more information about the news. So let the people know why Jeremy Ruckert, he is here, but there's a lot of stuff he can't do here. Why? So, yeah, he will only be doing the bench press here. At least that's all he plans to do. He came down with plantar fasciitis uh, during the senior bowl week. He was having a really good week at the senior bowl. He was you know, getting strong reviews. Um, had been making some plays and then at some point during that week encountered this injury, this foot injury. So he's not doing any running this week, but it sounds more precautionary than anything. One of those things where it's not something that's going to linger for him, but because these numbers can be so important and because they will be so dissected and shared and everything, if there's any chance that you're not going to put your best foot out there, uh, no pun intended in his case, then wait and do it at the pro day. So that's what he'll do whenever Ohio State's pro day is, which has not been, uh, we have not 
been given a date yet for that. Mm, yeah. I think we'll have one soon, but uh, I, I would expect to get one this week. But um, no reason for him to go out there and put up subpar numbers and then have to do it all again at the pro day. It's better to just wait and do it at the pro day. So it was interesting. I was asking uh, Kevin Stefanski, the head coach of the Browns, about he's a guy, he's coached tight ends. He loves tight ends. The Browns have three tight ends they rely on. I was asking him at a, at a thing like this. So what are some of the traits that you look at? How do you evaluate tight ends in a situation like this? And he was talking about, I think he said like Y and F, he called it. Y is like an inline tight end, a guy who can block, do those kind of things. And can he also catch passes? And F is more like you're split out. You're almost more like a slot guy, like a wide receiver. And they just look at them as like at two different positions. And I just was thinking about that in terms of Jeremy Rucker, that again, all the things that Jeremy Rucker didn't get to do at Ohio State, he really is an inline tight end. I don't, there's nobody here, I don't think, that would have any doubt about Jeremy Ruckert's ability to block and be a hand on the ground, move it to handle a 290-pound defensive end, as, as Kevin Stefanski explained it, that kind of tight end. And then it's like, well, then can that kind of guy also catch? And it's like, heck, yes, he can catch. And so that versatility, if he really had gotten to be, you know, basically a slot guy, a guy who's standing up a lot, who's just out catching passes. He would be here maybe more limited. So again, you try to spin it nice of, I should have thrown to this guy more, but I, I thought I was like, Oh, that sounds like that's a good thing for Jeremy Ruckett because he's both. He's clearly both one. He developed into at Ohio state. As we talk about the way he grew as a blocker and one, he naturally is because if you throw this guy the ball, he'll probably catch it. What was the conversation with Ruckert like about the way he was used at Ohio State, how he thinks he projects in the NFL, where he thinks he, he fits in this tight end class that kind of is a big mishmash? Yeah, I mean, he's answered so many questions over the years about not getting the ball thrown to him that much that uh, he kind of glides past that at this point. He, he talks a lot about how he thinks the Ohio state experience prepared him to be the kind of all around tight end. He's going to need to be in the NFL. I thought one of the more enlightening questions he got was from an NFL writer asking him about teams that play two tight ends. And if, if you're going to be in a 12 personnel situation, a lot of times, how comfortable are you there? And of course, he actually spent the majority of his career in that situation. He spent a lot of time sharing the field with Luke Farrell. And he was, it's interesting that Stefanski was using that terminology because he himself was saying, you know, sometimes I was the F and sometimes I was the Y and I can play both of those roles. He's and, and he kind of welcomes both of those roles. And it's a good thing because I think uh, as you well know, like a, a lot of um, NFL teams, play two tight ends um, with, with some abundance. So I, I agree with you that every description that I hear of what a team would look for in a tight end, I think he fits. Do I understand why he is not one of the, has not broken through to the level where they talk about him as like a first round tight end or maybe even an early second day tight end, like why he hasn't, doesn't have those measurables, doesn't have that, production in in all phases on the on tape i do understand that but it, it just seems like a guy that uh if he gets in the right situation can have a, a, a pretty significant impact what else do we need to cover from the rucker conversation again i did not participate in it at all and you were there with a bunch of the other ohio state beat writers my, you know, one of the, the running jokes among the beat is uh, the guy who comes around and asks, are you going to uh, have you talked to the Jets yet? <laughs> and that's the only thing he asks at every station. But uh, Ruckert is a New York guy and, and he was getting some extra attention, I think, from the New York media that's here um, because they want to know where he might. I think both of those teams may be in the market for someone who does what he does. So uh, he grew up a Jets fan, but he's. I think he's in the mix for, for both of those teams, depending on how the draft falls. Uh, I don't know if that's of huge interest to Ohio state fans or not, but it kind of just fits in with the running joke of, of the theme of the, of the combine every year of the, Hey, have, have you talked to the jets yet? That's just a, it's, a, it's, it's as, as time tested as going to St. Elmo's or not being able to get into St. Elmo's because you didn't make a reservation or, or whatever. But a lot of his conversation was about, you know, we know that you were, you know, somewhat limited in the number of targets you got at Ohio State. He was asked, like, well, you know, what is your favorite moment at Ohio State? And he said that 
uh, he, he mentioned that catch against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game from 2020. And I was trying to ask a follow-up and didn't get it in, but just I still think that there is a, a if you're doing an evaluation of him, I know that the, the targets were limited, but in terms of volume, but in terms of impact, I mean, he made some really huge catches and some of them were not easy. And I think if I was an NFL evaluator, I, that would be something that, especially in a class of tight ends where that is not especially deep this year. I think that's fair to say people are ranking this tight end is one of the weaker position groups in this draft. I think that's something that could help him that maybe there's other guys who are not volume tight ends and the, the guy that who has gone on the field and had to make athletic uh, borderline, like acrobatic plays at times and has done it successfully and not had it look like a fluke to have it look like this is something that is in his skill set and just needs to be um, utilized. I think that's going to help him when it comes to, uh, late April, when they start drafting guys. I know for our texters, we've been texting out during the day on Wednesday um, stuff as we get it at 614-350-3315. That's where you can text to sign up for a two-week free trial. Get all this stuff for free. You send a text to there. You get a little thing to sign up back uh, in your phone. I know you texted out to people, Nathan, that that Joe Royer came up. What was the conversation mm-hmm. there with Ruckert about Joe Royer and the guys who are left in the Ohio State tight end room? Yeah, so one of the things that I'm sure drives all of the NFL media here crazy is that there are, you know, 15, 20 of us that are covering Ohio State, and we're all here asking questions, not just about what these guys are going through in the draft process, but, hey, what about next year's team? Who do you like on next year's team? So Ruckert inevitably got that question, and the first name off his lips was Joe Royer, that, you know, it's a guy that he's high on. He's the exact quote was, you obviously see him in practice making those special plays. And Royer didn't really have a role last year. Obviously, it was Rucker primarily, Stover, Kate Stover being the number two guy. And then when you when they used three, it was still Mitch Rossi that was more of that fullback type. They weren't going to go it just didn't get to, to Joe Royer in, in that rotation. And Ruckert said not to make too much of that because, you know, he came in as a five-star, like top 50 guy, uh, Ruckert did. And it's, he said it still just take, took him a long time to get to a place where he felt comfortable and felt like he could produce. And, you know, Royer coming in as a much lower ranked prospect, there's an adjustment time. I don't want to completely carry Kevin Wilson's water here, but he has often talked about tight end as being a developmental position, much like offensive line is. And I think especially what they're asking someone like Joe Royer to do, where these guys do have to play in line and be blockers as much as they or more than they're used utilized as receivers, the physical growth that's necessary, kind of just the awareness of, of how to block and how to block at this level and how to be physical at this level. I think that probably does take some adjustment times. So this is still a position of probably, I don't know if trepidation is the right word for, for fans right now, just because it is such an unknown, especially if Stover moves to defense, but, that's not the first good thing we've heard about Royer. People do seem to be high on what he can do next year. Record also said that he thinks G Scott is coming along. So there is some talent coming through the pipeline at tight end. It is still just going to be young and inexperienced. And uh, one of those things that until we actually see it on the field, we're probably going to look at with some skepticism until guys actually start to, to do what record says they're doing behind the scenes. All right. That's Jeremy Ruckert. We'll take our last break and come back with Chris Olave news from the NFL Combine here on Buckeye Talk. Doug and Nathan, Chris Olave, big crowd, right? This guy is a really good uh, prospect. Again, will be fascinating to see where all these Big Ten guys fall. You know, I was talking to other reporters here, and it's like, you know, there's, there's people who love David Bell from Purdue and David Bell was a one-man band and had some huge games, sort of won some games almost by himself this year. I was at Jahan Dotson from Penn State the whole time uh, during his interview session. He comes across as like he really makes a case. He was a guy that defense has planned for um, for Penn State this year, and he had to find a way to still try to get open. But Chris Olave is a dude. What was like? What? How does Olave see himself? Where? where what kind of player does he envision himself being in the NFL? And uh, what was his session like? That was a question I, I really wanted to 
get to him today was, okay, you're clearly an NFL receiver now. When did you know you were an NFL receiver? When did you think you were an NFL receiver? Did you know it coming out of high school in California, no matter what the rankings said? And his response was by two or three practices into his freshman year at Ohio State when he was going up against guys that he knew were going to be NFL defensive backs when he was you know playing with other alongside other you know future NFL guys on that offense he said that he knew it he said he he knew that he belonged at that level that he was everything else was just sort of inevitable path to, to get to this point and that I think is he's such a quiet guy and such an understated guy. We were talking before he started, like somebody, I think it might've been Dan Hope said to somebody, it's like, Oh, it's good that we have these speakers here. Cause Olave basically like whispers his interviews. Like he's such a, a soft-spoken guy and doesn't, doesn't have any sort of brashness about him other than when he gets on the field and kind of lets the, the play speak for himself. And but the confidence is clearly there. Like this is not a guy who um, came in and, and was, was surprised to have the success that he's had. And is, is, I think he feels that everything that's come since then is deserved and is, I think most importantly, if you're an NFL team, a guy who is, is ready for the moment to now step up and just kind of transition that to the NFL. Did he talk about what kind of, player he think he'll he'll be we we had this conversation i don't want to repeat what we said on our combine preview but you and i talked about the idea that he's a deep threat but he's not only a deep threat how did he describe himself or or how did he describe what he thinks he does best as a receiver i mean he said he feels like he can be an inside guy or an outside guy for nfl teams i read uh, the nfl's official scouting report on him kind of describes him that way a guy who can be a hybrid at, at this level and i think that makes sense partially maybe because of his size a little bit that you don't look at him as a, you know, he's clearly not a big receiver. Again, I'm, I'm curious what he's going to measure in at this week. Um, he's not one of the six, three guys that you're looking at in the, the back of the end zone um, in, in the red zone kind of way. But I also don't know that I, I think what they, the, the way, the way I think the NFL teams seem to look at him is the deep threat stuff is demonstrated, but he can also be a high volume, you know, middle of the field kind of receiver too, if that's what a team needs him to be. And, and more and more, I think teams want that versatility. They, they, they love those guys who can, who can be that back of the end zone target. But I think as you're moving your way down field, they like guys that they can move around and, and play with matchups and, and, and do a lot of things because your roster changes. We're seeing that with the Browns, I think, obviously, right? I mean, you know, is Jarvis Landry here next year? Is he not? And if he's not, how does that change what sort of receivers you need? And if he is here, where does he play? Cause he's been in the slot and they backed him off of that over time. And you're going to have to have that versatility. I think and it, it really helps him if he can, you know, prove himself a little bit over the middle as an, as an inside guy, um, which doesn't have to be exclusively over the middle, I guess. But if he can prove himself as an inside guy, I think that just helps him make an impact even faster because the more you do, the more you can be on the field. All right. Anything else we need to cover from an Olave standpoint? Again, we think this guy has probably a second half of the first round, um, probably like between the fourth and sixth receiver off the board. And I think if you're a top six receiver in this draft, you're probably a first rounder. So I'll be really surprised if he falls out of the first round. But again, um, did, did he think there's, there's something in particular here at the combine that he really wants to focus on that he thinks he needs to show people? Well, he's not doing the bench press. And I thought that was a, a bit of a telling. It's Cause um, he's skinny announcement. Well, but here's the thing. He came back as for this past year for any number of reasons, but one of the things that he stated was, well, I need to get stronger. I need to improve my upper body strength. And to not do the bench press tells me that he didn't do that maybe to the degree he wanted to. But as I've also said before, I think his body type is what it is. I think for him to come here and as I was saying before, like why go in and put a bad number out there? I think it's, it probably is better for him to have just not done the bench press which maybe, you know, you're living down to expectations. You're not lowering them. If you, if you just come in and don't do the bench press and people are like, well, okay, yeah, he's a small guy. He doesn't want to do the bench press. It's, that's actually still better for you than if you come in and really uh, look terrible doing the bench press. So I suppose I understand why he's doing that. Um, he was asked, uh, are you the best route runner 
in this draft class. And he, he gave an interesting answer. This is one of the few times where some of that brashness has come through. Maybe he's like, he first said, well, you could say, you can say that, which I thought he was saying, I thought he was just saying yes, but then he changed it to like, that's up for you guys to decide. But he went on to say, I think I am a strong route runner, but it sounded like he was starting to say, yeah, I'm the best route runner. Yeah, you can say that. It's true. I'm the best route runner. But then he kind of put it off on, no, that's other people can evaluate that. Um, he thinks that the route running will speak for itself, but that's obviously one of his main attributes. And one thing I think he hopes will maybe separate him in this draft class, that there's a polish there that it, maybe he, you know, he doesn't have the size and he, he doesn't um, have some of the other like physical attributes that teams might want, but just because he is so technical and so polished that he can, uh, there won't be maybe as much of a curve for him to do that at the NFL standard. Was, did you catch up to anything Jamison Williams, former Ohio State receiver at Alabama, said, I know we were like, we had people at different places. I don't think we had anybody there. Did, do you know if he said anything about his time at Ohio State or was asked about that at all during his session? So he would have been asked about it more because he was supposed to go right after Olave. But then Olave was very late getting started and they shuffled some things around. So all the people who were potentially going to split their time between Jameis Williams and Garrett Wilson then all had to go to Chris Olave. We didn't get to hang out with Jameis Williams. So uh, subsequently, he didn't get a lot of Ohio State questions. He did talk about uh, really the only things he mentioned were he was asked about um, you know, Chris Olave and, and Jackson Smith the Jigba and Garrett Wilson and kind of the camaraderie that they had and the support that he kind of continued to get from his Ohio State teammates. And he had some comments about that and threw out the term brotherhood. And that doesn't surprise me. I think in terms of the way he talks about his former teammates, that has always been a, a positive thing, that he, there's been a mutual appreciation there. Uh, but he did say that he – when he was asked about like, well, why were you able to break out at Alabama? He talked about opportunity. He said like, I didn't just, he felt I didn't get much of an opportunity at Ohio state. Now he was on the field for every, you know, he started all eight of those games in 2020 on for a team that went to the national championship game. And he was a known quantity. I mean, Dabo Sweeney uh, didn't name drop him, but he number dropped him going into that Clemson game. They were aware of him. He was still able to get behind that defense and catch a touchdown bomb in that game. So it wasn't that he was a non-entity, but he was clearly the distant third option in that offense. And at Alabama, he became... uh, really the primary option for, for much of the season. And that's why he was able to, to break out was it wasn't so much that he uh, didn't have the opportunity to get on the field at Ohio state, but clearly that offense did not, it ran through other people before him and Alabama had a need that Ohio state didn't have anymore. So that was really the extent of him talking about the Ohio state side of things was just that, uh, that he, there wasn't like a switch that went on for him athletically, I think is what he's tried to get across to people. Like, you know, he had, ability and talent and skill all along it was just a matter of uh, he didn't get the ball thrown to him he was he was ruckerdish in in some ways like it doesn't matter if you're on the field if nobody's throwing you the ball and i thought he made the most of some of the moments he had in in 2020 but to get an abundance of those moments he had to go somewhere else and i think everybody understood that at the time he just did more with it than i think anyone ever would have expected nobody last year was talking about james williams when he transferred to alabama as being a you know he's there's still people who will say maybe he should be the first receiver off the board this year or one of the top three i don't think anybody was talking about him like that and i give him all the credit in the world for taking this opportunity and 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 running with it on the Wednesday College Football Survivor Show podcast, Shahan J. Haraja and I did a parking lot draft, which we have done here on, on Buckeye Talk before. We did like a six on six team. It's like, which is like seven on seven, but we didn't like draft the center. So it was just like quarterback, running back, tight end, three receivers, and then linebackers, cornerbacks, and safeties on the defensive side of the ball. We each drafted a 12 man team. I took Garrett Wilson was the first receiver off the board in that draft. I took Olave ahead of Jamison Williams, and then I wound up with Jamison Williams on my team as well. But it was interesting to have that conversation with Shahan, who's not an Ohio State writer, sort of talking about, like, well, why did you do that? And I still cannot get past it, right? It's like, well, if Jamison Williams was actually better than Chris Olave, then maybe he would have played ahead of Chris Olave. And it is it's, – it's not an indictment of Jamison Williams, but – he might be not as good as Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, or Jackson Smith and Jigba and still be absolutely worthy of being a very high first round pick, 
right? All those things can be true, but it is interesting that in 2020, Ohio State had two great receivers and like the third receiver, like just couldn't find a role, couldn't find an opportunity. And in 2021, Ohio State had two great receivers and the third receiver led the team in receiving, led the Big Ten in receiving, had more receiving yards than any Ohio State receiver in history. So it's like yeah. Jackson Smith and Jigba, maybe it's because he was in the slot and Jamison Williams was outside. Maybe it's some difference of C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a normal year versus a COVID year. But I do – all that still factors into me a little bit of like Jackson Smith and Jigba was in a very like sort of similar position that Jamison Williams was. And, ja- and Jackson Smith and Jigba was just like, I'm getting mine anyway. I'm too good to be held back. And so um, I'm just super curious. I said on that podcast, I'll say it again. I think I've said it every podcast. I'm just super curious to see where Chris Olave and Jamison Williams go in comparison to each other. And obviously the ACL injury for Jamison Williams is some small factor in that, but I don't think it holds anybody back a ton anymore. He's going to be fine. It's not going to mean he's not going to be a great player. But that's one of the big dra- – on draft night, right, that that Thursday night, I'm going to be like, man, who's going to go, Olave or, or Jamison Williams? Who's going to go first? All right, anything else that we need to cover from anything we heard or said or ate or sniffed or smelled or walked on or walked through or walked over or fell asleep to? You want to give people the full combine experience. So I think a couple of uh, years ago, uh, no, it was it was just this past year. I was in in, in my Money Madness column. I had um, uh, snarkily uh, talked about uh, when I thought Iowa was a lock to make it to the Big Ten championship game, which it then turned out that they weren't. But then it turned out that they did. Uh, I had snarkily referenced uh, something along the lines of like what they're going to, what they need to do uh, to get to Lucas Oil Stadium. And I had just turned it into a a discussion of where you should eat instead of St. Elmo's um, because I thought it was such a lock. And I went to the place that I suggested a place called spoken steel, which is like right next to St. Elmo's and um, had a nice dinner there last night. So it was a a long-winded way of reminding people when they come to Indianapolis and if St. Elmo's is booked, and um, the place right next to it that serves the same food is booked. Go to Spoken Steel. It's a really solid place. So I have a it's big plan. Nice craft cocktail. For this Wednesday night that I'm going to go crush. You know where I'm going to dinner? Steak and shake. Olive Garden. I'm going to destroy the soup <laughs> oh, and you're salad. Staying. I forgot you're staying on the outskirts. Yeah. Yeah. The unlimited soup and salad for dinner at Olive Garden. You got to tip the waiter, the server. You have to tip extra. You can't only tip. when you get unlimited soup and salad because you're getting a great deal. And then that server has to bring you your meal like five times. So when I get unlimited soup and salad, I'm going to get like four salads. I'm going to get at least three soups and I'm going to drink eight iced teas. So I can't tip like off a $12.99 bill because it's an unbelievable deal. So please take that into account. How much is your server walking to serve you, you got to tip 50% on something like that. I am going to be there by myself with my pink headphones on, just crushing pasta fajol. Do you think the eight iced teas might have something to do with why you can't fall asleep at night? Does, does iced tea have caffeine? <laughs> Usually, yeah. For real? I know Diet Coke does. Iced tea does too. I already yeah. had like 11 yeah. iced teas at the combine today. They were small. For real? Oh, they were. They were like shot glasses man. of iced tea. Oh, that could be it. Iced tea has caffeine. All tea has caffeine, unless it's For decaffeinated. Real? Ah, decaffeinated. What's the point? Man, I got to start drinking water. Does water have caffeine? It doesn't, right? Probably not. It might have other things in it. All right. Well, hopefully, I mean, if again, if I... If I'm up till three o'clock in the morning again on Wednesday night, you might see a Chris Holtman column on Thursday morning that's going to be <laughs> scorching hot because that's just like I'm rolling over the future of the Ohio State basketball program in my head when I want to be falling asleep. All right. That's our first day at the Combine with Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jeremy Ruckert. Uh, the Thursday interviews, offensive line is the big thrust. Is that correct, Nathan? That'll be Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit-Frere? 
Correct. Yes. Okay. And I will not be here. So uh, hopefully you'll be texting our, is it, our is it also defensive line or no, no the defensive line uh, is not it's until Friday. Friday. Defensive Friday. line and linebackers, I believe are Friday. And then Saturday is DBs and specialists of which there are no Ohio state players here this year. Okay. So we will have that coverage. We'll have the coverage for the textures. We'll have the coverage in the podcast. We'll have the coverage at cleveland.com. Again, you find stories from the combine at cleveland.com slash OSU. You find stories about cleveland.com slash Browns. We have a bunch of stuff going on and uh, we're having a good time. So thanks to you guys for making Buckeye Talk part of your week. Also, we got some info. It sounds like we're going to have interviews with some Ohio State coaches next week because I guess we're getting geared up for spring football. Is that correct? That is my understanding. Um, We'll be uh, talking to... And I don't think we've been given a date yet exactly for when spring practice starts, but I think it's it's all kind of com- coming to a head next week. Busy time. Great time to get the text. 614-350-3315. All right. That's it from Indy for Nathan Baird. I'm Douglas Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.